Have you ever found yourself wondering about the role that Canadians played in old-time radio? Well, wonder no more. During the next 60 minutes, we'll delve into the careers of actors, writers, and directors who went abroad to find work, as well as those who stayed right here in Canada. Join me as together we explore Canadians in old-time radio. there, I'm Devin Wilkins, founder and president of CATRA, the Canadian Old Time Radio Alliance, and welcome to Canadians in Old Time Radio. If you have a look at www.cotra.ca, I think you'll find some tidbits that will be of interest to you. Uh, especially whenever you have an attack of nostalgia. We're going to have an hour-long Made in Canada segment, and I'm quite excited about this because this is a program from the CBC Stage series, Stage 53 to be specific, and it's called A Sense of Sin. And the reason I'm excited is that one of the starring actors is none other than Christopher Plummer. I had heard that uh, Mr. Plummer had done some radio work before exiting for the the stage and uh, Broadway and uh, goodness knows what else, but I have never heard him on radio, so I'm looking forward to this. Stage 53, item 16, A Sense of Sin, a new radio play written and produced by Andrew Allen, based on his own stage play, Narrow Passage, starring Pat Arthurs, Bud Knapp, and Christopher Plummer. The music composed and conducted by Lucio Agostini. A Sense of Sin, by Andrew Allen. Although Grantville, Ontario calls itself a city, its population never seems to exceed 11,000. Grantville began as a grist mill and a landing in the 1840s, and its leading families grew prosperous during the railway boom of the 80s. 
Now lying quietly and not always tidily beside a bay of Lake Ontario, it subsists mainly on memories, a mildly local industry of making glazed tile, and a small branch factory of a big electrical manufacturer. Being off the main highway, Grantville, unlike its bustling neighbor Farlan, has had little luck in luring tourists, although there are some hopeful tourists accommodated signs on the edge of town, and even some apologetic signs on the old residential streets with their great elms. But there's no sign of any kind on the Nairs house, the big house which Edwin Nairs built 60 years ago, with its lawns at the back stretching down to the bay. Edwin Nairs, when he was alive, was an Englishman who married Adelaide Grant, the last surviving daughter of the family from which Grantville took its name. On this afternoon in April, the widowed Mrs. Nairs is lying upstairs, hopelessly paralyzed. Her housekeeper, Mrs. Bennett, is speaking on the downstairs phone. No, Dr. Robertson. Ethel's upstairs, but I can get her for you. Oh, you will. That'll be fine. Mrs. Nairs is pretty much the same, I guess. Ethel gave her the pills last night, and I think she slept. Well, we changed her this morning, but she hasn't moved or anything since. Uh Uh-huh. All right, Dr. Robertson. Goodbye. Nice weather for April. McDougal, what are you prowling around for? You'd best get to work in that garden. Sure. How's Miss Nairs? About the same. No hope, I guess. It's just as good Lord wills, McDougal. His ways are inscrutable. Just about as inscrutable as you can get anything. Reverend Reeves was in to see her yesterday. Talked to her about an hour. She just lay there, of course, but her eyes were bright. No sense talking to the Reverend Reeves anyway, Sarah. He just lays you low with a tech. No call to blaspheme. How is young Ethel Coleman making out as a nurse? She's a good nurse. Ought to be. Her pa was a pretty good doctor. Sad to see the old Coleman place boarded up. The weeds growing all over. Guess doctors don't leave much money behind when they die. Doctors leave consecrated lives. (laughs) Seen Doc Coleman pretty consecrated drunk a couple of times when he was alive. Figure he earned it, though. Get to work in that garden, McDougal. No time to waste on you. Dr. Robertson's on his way up. If Mrs. Nairs dies, Sarah, you'd ought to go housekeeper, Doc Robertson. Him a widower and you a widow. Men could do with some other. Maybe you could nab him. Half the female eligibles in town have been trying these dozen years. But proximity's a great help. I'm old enough to be John Robertson's ma, and you're a silly old man. Now, Stat, there's Mr. Peter coming up the walk, and I hear Ethel coming downstairs. You get... Hello, Ethel. Peter, where have you been? I've been worried about you. Worry? What for? I just took a drive, that's all. You didn't have any money. You left it on your bed. I found that out. Ran out of gas at the Pentlum turn and had to leave the car. Seems my credit isn't good around here anymore. You've been away a long time, Peter. That peculiar Nairs boy went up to New York to study music. How's Mother? No change. No change. Peter, why don't you ever work at the piano? It was tuned for you when you came back from New York, but you never touch it. Hardly seems proper, Ethel, to be twiddling away at a piano with my mother upstairs dying. Twiddling? Peter, you're an important musician. Who says so? 
Your mother's dearest wish was to see you realize your genius at the piano. It was a big sacrifice on her part to send you to New York. Don't you think you might try to make some return? Would you think it would give her pleasure to hear you practicing down here? Well, very well for you to talk, Ethel. You're used to sick rooms and dying people. But in an atmosphere of this kind, I just can't work, that's all. I'm sorry to hear that, Peter. Well, if it isn't Dr. Robertson. I thought you made a better stuff. John, Peter's upset. Of course I'm upset. Why shouldn't I be? It's my mother that's dying, isn't it? You said your mother was dying. Your mother's very sick, but I'm her doctor, and I don't say she's dying. You wired me she was dying. That's why I came back. You sound as if you want her to die. John! All right, suppose I do. You think it's fun to watch her disappear by inches? See her gibber like an idiot, helpless as an old sack? You talk to me about my music. <laughs> I'm getting out with us at least some living air. John, I'm worried about him. Oh, don't look like that. Peter's an important musician, a great pianist. Who says so? Oh, I wish you wouldn't all keep saying that. You know how the New York critics raved last winter? Great promise. That's how they raved. Great promise. Me, yeah, I think he plays with his fingers. What on earth should he play with? His guts. Bowels of compassion, that's what. I want an opinion on music, John. I go to a next. To a music critic, I know. You want your coat mended, you go to a tailor. When you want religion, you go to a parson. If I wanted religion, the parson's the last person I'd go to. It's prophets who make religions. And who crucify prophets? Parsons. Stop changing the subject. Peter's destined to be one of the great pianists of our day. Perhaps the composer, too. But this situation here, his mother helpless, neither dead nor alive, is standing between him and his destiny as surely as if he'd had his hands cut off. John, we must do something. Do what? Send him away. Tell him his mother's going to be all right. Release him. Let him get on with his work. I'll do nothing of the kind. His mother may live for years, or she may die tonight. And if she died tonight, it would be a, a merciful release. Oh, yes. Our old friend, merciful release. Well, wouldn't it? You're a doctor. How should I know? All I know is I'm doing my best to keep her alive. And as for Peter Nares, he's not my patient. Yet. He will be soon if you don't do something. I'm doing all I can. I go by the Hippocratic Oath, such as it is. And so should you, Nurse Coleman, if you were any kind of a nurse at all. I'm a good nurse. You're a good nurse as far as you go. As far as you went was Toronto. And you only went there to get out of Grantville. My father was a doctor. And mine manufactured glazed tile. Don't trade on that. Your father was a doctor and a good one. But you didn't become a nurse because your father was a doctor. You became a nurse because you wanted to escape from Grantville. You went to Toronto and scrubbed floors and emptied slops, all of which you hated. But you weren't buoyed up by any idea of service to humanity. You were a small-town girl who wanted to get away. And the only way you could see was to become a nurse. So don't go Florence Nightingale on me. I know you. Would you like to relieve me of this case? Certainly not. You're doing all right. Buy your gift of the gab. I tell you what I think of a doctor who treats the dead and lets the living die. Well, thank God you haven't. I get confused enough. The only reason I went into training was to escape from Granville. Why did I come back here? Because your father died and you thought there'd be some money. But there wasn't. Only a big liability of an old house and you got stuck here. But right now you're working on something else. John Roberts. Sometimes I hate you. I know. No, I think I'll go and see the patient. No, you stay where you are. 
I were you, I'd sit and think a while. And also, Ethel, if I were you, I should be very, very careful. Garvin's Peter and told them to tow the car in from the pencil and turn and fill the tank. When you want it, you can call them. They'll bring it up. Why, oh, you always so good to me, Ethel. Sorry I was so rude to Doc Robertson. Edgy, I guess. Oh, hello there, McDougal. Want something? Looking for Sarah Bennett, Mr. Nears. She's in the kitchen. Must seem pretty quiet around here after New York. Eh, Mr. Nears? Sure does. Never been to New York myself. Thought of it a couple of times, but give it up. Mr. Nairs is giving a big concert in the fall in Carnegie Hall. You should go down for that. Concert? I don't know. Be kind of out of my line. Even on the radio, I never listen to anything but news. Afraid I'd find that hard on the nerves, McDougal. Easy on the nerves. News is always bad, but after you hear it a few times, it becomes kind of familiar and you don't mind it. I suppose you can get used to anything. Anything. Hope you have a real pretty concert, though, Mr. Nears. Gotta find Sarah. I'm not giving any concert. Yes, you are. I've written a letter canceling it. I know. You're not going to mail it. Oh? How did you know I'd written a letter? It was on your bed. And you have a perfect right to read letters you find on my bed? The letter was lying open. Peter, I wish you wouldn't twist a perfectly normal desire to be helpful into something unpleasant. What did you do? Tear it up? No, I'm keeping it. Until you come to your senses and tear it up yourself. Ethel, I want that letter back. It's going in the mail. I'm not giving that concert. I'm not going to begin thinking about music again until this business here is over. As long as Mother's lying up there the way she is, there's no earthly use prattling about music. Get it through your head. Let's just forget about my career and any little talent you may think I have. A horrible thing that has happened upstairs simply doesn't go with music or art or any of the fine things people talk about. So just give me the letter. Now. Peter, will you do one thing for me? Will you wait until tomorrow before you mail it? What difference will tomorrow make? I don't know, but will you wait? It'll make you feel any better. Trust me, Peter. You used to trust me when we were kids, remember? Oh, I banished you when you were hurt and stole apples for you and told lies for you at school. <laughs> you were three grades ahead of me, though, don't forget. Everything you did was important to me. Everything that happened to you seemed to be happening to me. It still does, Peter. I was the one who made you do your piano practice and you wanted to sneak out and covered up for you. You did sneak out. I'm still doing it. Peter, I want you to know that every single thing you suffered because of your mother, I suffered too. Oh, Ethel, what am I going to do? You're not going to do anything right now, except leave that letter to me. And go out for a while. Somebody at the door and you don't want to see anyone. Dismiss everything from your mind, Peter. Leave everything to me. Mr. Reeves. He's the Reverend Mr. Reeves, Ethel. Ah, oh, Miss Coleman, how do you do? And how is your patient today? Dr. Robertson's with her now, Mr. Reeves. And young Mr. Nares, is he at home? 
Gone for a walk. It is somewhat late for a call, but it was such a fine evening, and I was on my way back from the hospital. Will you be wanting supper, Ethel? Perhaps Mr. Reeves will stay. Oh, no, thank you, Mrs. Bennett. It's very kind of you, but my wife expects me. Don't bother about me, Mrs. Bennett. I'm not hungry. I'll fix something for Mr. Peter, then, and myself. I'm hungry. Excuse me, Mr. Reeves. Must be a very distressing case, Miss Coleman. Yes. You haven't been in Grant for long, have you, Mr. Reeves? No, I celebrated my first anniversary as pastor of St. Mark's a week ago last Sunday. I came here from Montreal. Why? I beg your pardon? Why would anyone leave Montreal to come to Grantville? One goes where one is called, Miss Coleman. To me, Grantville is a lovely little city. As you get older, you may learn to like it better. I don't want to learn to like it better. I've seen the people who grow old here learn to like it better every year. The Missy Bigelow, for instance, ran the tea room. Fine old family. Attractive girls when they were young. But a pair of drab old spinsters when I knew them. Lively as crickets and pathetic as... You have always lived here, Miss Coleman? Except when I was training. Comparatively, Grantville is not a large place, but greatness is not measured by size. The prophet Zachariah has warned us not to despise the day of small things. I don't know much about the prophet Zechariah, but if he lived in Grantville, he might have found that things get too small. Grantville is narrow in many ways. But narrowness is not confined to Grantville, Miss Coleman. I had examples of narrowness in Montreal, of which I have not seen the equal here. I dare say young Mr. Nares could tell of a kind of narrowness even in New York. Ah, Dr. Robertson. Oh, uh, good evening, Mr. Reeves. Pastoral call? In a way, Doctor, but I suppose... I don't think there's much point in seeing Mrs. Nares right now. She is sleeping? You might... Call it sleeping. Yesterday, although she could not reply, she seemed to take in everything with a great deal of her old intelligence. I don't believe I've ever seen in the eyes of a human being such a look of patience and kindness. This must be very trying for her son. In a way, I suppose, although I hesitate to say it, her death might be considered a merciful release. <clears throat> if she dies, Mr. Reeves, you'd call it an example of God's mercy. What if she doesn't die but goes on suffering? Is that an example of God's mercy, too? It may be, Dr. Robertson. There is a ministry of suffering, too, you know. Not only for the one who suffers directly, but for those who suffer with her. It is a mistake to try to squeeze God's providence into our finite conceptions. Excuse me, Mr. Reeves. Nurse, I think perhaps you'd better go up to the patient now. Capsules are on the bedside table. You understand about the dosage? Yes, Doctor. I gave her a hypo. But when you give the capsule, you may have difficulty forcing it down. She isn't swallowing very well. I can do it. Very well, nurse. You're on duty.
Cranfield seems to me quite a perfect thing of its kind. Lovely old homes and trees and the air of quiet. The Farland is really like a bazaar compared with it. The uh, cult of bigness has grown quite absurd, you know. Because a thing is small, it is supposed to be a less good version of something which is big. It may be an entirely different organism, really. Well, small or big, Mr. Reeves, here is where some of us belong. Our grandfathers were here. Every brick and clapboard means something personal. Mrs. Bennett belongs here, so do I. And Mrs. Nairs. And young Mr. Nairs? And Miss Coleman? I don't know. May I give you a lift, Mr. Reeves? I'm passing your place. Thank you, Doctor. Oh, Doctor, I didn't realize you were ready to go. Now, Mr. Reeves and I are on our way. Don't bother to see us out. I know this house as well as I know my own consulting room. Is there anything I can do? I don't think there's anything any of us can do. Good night, Mrs. Bennett. Call me if you need me. Good night, Dr. Robertson. I do hope Mrs. Nares has a restful sleep. Good night, Mrs. Bennett. Good night. Good night, Mr. Reeves. That's you, Mr. Peter. You startled me. I didn't hear you come in. Came in the back. Didn't want to meet anyone. The doctor and the reverend have just gone. Have you had supper? Not yet. Never mind. I thought I'd try the piano a bit. Haven't touched it for days. That would be nice. A little music. Robertson, is he gone? Gone home. Why, Ethel, what in heaven's name? Get him on the phone quickly, quickly, quickly. Is it mother? Yes. Peter, I'm sorry to have to tell you. Your mother is dead. My mother is dead? I'm terribly sorry. How... How long? When? Just now. Oh. I've been afraid of something like this all day. (laughs) 
April passes. And May. It's in May that Peter Nares goes back to New York. Grantville dozes, just as it's always done, under the heat of June and July. The old Nares house looks as if it were uninhabited. But Mrs. Bennett is still there, and MacDougall still works in the garden. August comes. And with it, a telegram from New York. Have made good time. Expect us by road after lunch. Peter. Driving, eh? Seems like. Expect us. I don't know who us is. Unless it's that agent of Mr. Peter's, whatever an agent is. I fixed Ethel's old room for him anyway. Mr. Peter will have his own room, of course. You'll be glad to see Peter, won't you, Mrs. Bennett? Well, it's nice to open up the house again. It's seen awful cold and desolated since poor Mrs. Nares passed away. If it hadn't been for my sister from Brantford visiting me back in June, I'd have gone sort of mental alone here. Peter ever give you any idea what he intends doing about the place? No, Doctor. He sends my salary and McDougal's and tells me to let him know if anything's needed, that's all. Oh, heavens to Betsy, here comes Ethel. She wanted to be here when Mr. Peter arrives. I'll leave you to talk to her. I got a million things to do. Hello, Ethel. Oh. Hello, John. You dress? I like it. Thank you. I haven't seen you for a while. Quite a while. I was thinking that. How have you been? It's fine. You? Fine. Given up nursing? For the time being. I haven't had a case, you know. No, I know you haven't. You must have come into money. Dad left a little. You've gone on living in your father's old house? Only in the downstairs. I called a couple of times, but there was no answer. Oh? I didn't know. Sometimes the bell doesn't work. Work? Rang like a volunteer fire brigade. Perhaps I was out. Perhaps you were. Wonderful about Peter coming home, isn't it? Fine. It's just a holiday, of course. He has a big concert to prepare for in the fall, you know. Yes, I gathered. Means a lot to him. And to you? Well, of course to me. I've always been ambitious for Peter. Since his mother died, I... Since his mother died, there's been nothing to hold him back. I wasn't going to say that. I was going to say Peter realizes how much his mother always wanted him to succeed. And now, in a way, he must do it for her. You correspond much, you and Peter? We write. I guess I write more than he does, but Benny's so busy and... Really, the last few months, I've had nothing else to do. Then somebody has to hold him to the party line. You're not going to upset me today, John, if you haven't. So am I. Full of midsummer spirits. Peter will always come back here from time to time. His roots are here. But his real life lies outside. There'll be concert tours and broadcasting and recording. There'll be Europe and South America and Australia and... But you never will understand these things, will you, John? I understand one thing, Ethel. Career is to be the career of Peter, but the life is to be the life of Ethel. Are you being deliberately nasty? I imagine so. I have to get rid of my repression somehow, and 
I'm not the guy who can rush to the keyboard and bang out the mazurka in E-flat. Here he comes. Here's a big convertible coming up the road, and Mr. Nairs is in it. Are you sure, McDougal? Yep, positive. Sarah, here's your boss. They're going in for convertibles now, eh? Big and flashy like a new refrigerator. There's a girl with them. What? There's a girl with them. Female girl. All kinds of excitement. It's Mr. Peter? Yep, driving a car out of one of the ads. Well, for pity's sake, let's go out onto the porch. This is where? Darling, I'd like you to meet an old friend of mine, Ethel Coleman. Uh Ethel, this is Maeve Archer. Maeve and I drove up from New York together in her new convertible. Hello, Ethel. I'm off. Hello, Maeve. We're dying for a swim. Oh, Ethel, no. Doc, do you know anything about the landing? Is it safe? McDougal's been patching it, but there's no guarantee. See, honey, there's the lawn and the trees I was telling you about. And down at the foot there is the rickety old landing and the bay. Oh, Peter, it's lovely. It's so old world. Whoops. How's the water this year? Cold? Uh, so they say. I don't care how cold it is after that last week in New York. Yes, Mrs. Bennett. Gee, it's good to see you again. He talks about you all the time, Mrs. Bennett. How wonderful you are. I could be jealous. Well, Everything now, been all right? Everything's fine, thank you, Mr. Peters. And McDougal's got the bags up. You're in your own room, and Miss Archer has the guest room at the front. I'm afraid I fixed it for a man. I didn't don't know... Don't give it a second thought, Mrs. Bennett. <laughs> Coming, Maeve. I'll show you the way. Peter, I think your old house is adorable. You mustn't ever change it. I won't if you say so, honey. Mr. Peter looks so well, doesn't he? Blooming. And Miss Archer seems such a nice, pretty girl. That convertible sure is a darb. Must have cost a bank. Central heating and everything. And say, what about that girl, eh? Maybe I'll take that trip to New York after all, before I get too old for it. McDougal, you're a foolish old man. Sarah, that's probably the cruelest thing that'll be said anywhere today. Just plain sense. Man's as old as he feels. But in Grantville, there's a conspiracy to make him feel old as soon as possible. Why is that, Doc? Well, they say in big towns, the surge of human life buoys people up. Time passes more quickly, so people don't count the days. But don't forget, McDougal, in small towns, people live longer. Longer and thinner. As your brother widower, Doc, I leave it to you. Ain't a man entitled to his fling. Depends how far you want to be flying. You're as bad as the Reverend Reeves. Always got to come back. Sarah, how about that beer you promised me? What you see in that filthy stuff. But I promised and you can have it. Beer never tastes so good as when somebody keeps telling you how filthy it is. Things don't always go according to plan, do they? Letting a kid in the convertible throw you? Go easy on me, John. Makes me feel old. Suppose we face it. That young man was delicately fashioned to be owned by somebody. His mother owned him once. Please, John. Then you owned him. Now it's the pretty rich girl. John, don't make me sound any cheaper than you have to. I suppose this might be as inopportune a moment as any to tell you I'm in love with you. You can say that. I can say that. Well, before we have to live through the next act of this strange, eventful history, let's climb into my gray dort and take a drive.
mother is gone. Oh. Mm, Peter, I've enough. Yeah, me too. Just a sec. Uh, hey, just for that smack, I'm going to duck you. Uh, oh, no fair. Okay, then. No fair smacking me on the hip here, honey. Let me give you a hand. Whoops. Oh. oh, Peter, it's heavenly. This is what I've been dreaming about. <sighs> Never seen wonderful till I saw you in the midst of it. Here, let me dry my hands. I think Mrs. Bennett is sweet. Well, where did you find her? She's been here almost since ever I can remember. Since long before Dad died, which is over 15 years ago. Oh. Cigarette? Light it for me, baby. My hands are wet. Mm. Let's sit on the edge of the dock for a minute in this glorious sun. Glad you came? Yes. Kiss me. Mm. <laughs> Ooh. You really do like the old place, Maeve? You're going to give it to me for a wedding present, aren't you? Anything you say, honey. Anything in the world. Peter, let's just stay here for weeks and weeks. Wish we could, my darling. But Vince Kelly wants me back at the beginning of September. Oh, no. Oh, yes. What is he, an agent or a keeper? You can't do that. You haven't anything until the concert at Carnegie Hall, and that's November. Till then, you're mine. Not only till then, honey, but during then and after then. All right. Prove it. Kiss me again. If there hadn't been considerable doubt in my mind, I'd have battered in the door of that old house of yours long ago. If you had really wanted to see me, you could have seen me. Grantful isn't that me. Perhaps I rather preferred you should want to see me. Why should I want to see you? It had nothing to do with you. Seems to me it had. Considerable. Oh. I suppose I'm going to get a lecture on medical ethics. Well, doesn't interest me anymore. But I did that night. I had to do For reasons beyond anything you could understand. And what exactly did you do? You know perfectly well. Stop torturing me. Getting out of this car. That's all. Stay where you are. Ethel, I don't know perfectly well until you tell me. All right. You're going to have the last twist of the thumbscrew, aren't you, very well? You're implicated in this, too, now. Don't forget, you signed the death certificate. If you'd had any doubts, then was your chance to speak, not now. It's you that has to speak. I knew what the dosage was. One capsule was safe enough, but two for a woman in Mrs. Nair's condition was dangerous. I knew. Well, 
I gave her five. Five, John. Five. Five, five. I killed her. <laughs> All right. Oh, there'll be enough of that. Oh, John, it was awful. I had to force them down her throat. She could hardly swallow. I forced them down her with water, and it spilled all over the bed. I had to keep filling the glass from the just I held her up. She didn't make a sound, but she looked at me. She knew what I was doing, and she kept looking at me. Just quiet down. She kept looking at me. But she didn't accuse me, John. She knew what I was doing, and she approved. Yes. She wanted to die for his sake, for Peter. John, you can't call it murder. You really can't call it murder. What shall we call it, then? I was the only one who could do it. I had to do it. Why should I suffer for doing a thing that was only just and right? Just and right? You were placed in a position of professional trust. And you deliberately took away from another human being the one thing no one can give back. And why? I did it for Peter. Are you sure of that? Do you think I did it for myself? Yes. So. That's what you think of me. You believe a woman brought up as I was with my training could coldly give a patient an overdose with no reason but a purely selfish one. Then it would be murder. I'm not much interested in what words you apply to it. I don't think you did it for Peter, that's all. You suffered from the same confusion of motives and desires all of us suffer from when we stray into areas we're not equipped to cope with. And you are in love with me. Everything you wished for Peter, all your life, you wished for yourself. <sighs> now, don't interrupt. Peter was only a means to an end. What you wanted most was to get out of Grantville and lead one of those rosy lives you'd read about. You couldn't do it under your own steam, so Peter was to be your means. He was to be a great musician and take you away with him. Peter is going to be a great musician. He's not going to be your great musician, which is all that really applies. Well, John, seems I have you to thank for convicting me of sin. If I killed Mrs. Nares to further my own selfishness, then it was murder, all right. No use trying to find another one. Just a minute. Something I have to tell you. I don't want to hear any more, John. You have to know this. Well? You didn't kill Mrs. Nares. just come out and accuse you of planning to give Mrs. Nairs an overdose. Why not? Oh, you were afraid to risk the loss of my regard for you. But you weren't afraid to risk making a murderess out of me. I didn't make a murderess out of you. I made the substitution. What difference does that make? When I forced those capsules down Mrs. Nairs' throat, I meant her to die. The fact they were harmless is beside the point. I didn't know they were harmless. The intention was there. And you... 
All these months you've been content to let me go on thinking I administered an overdose that night. I haven't been content, but what could I do? I know. You had to make me tell you first. And as long as there was a chance of my TV in the end, you accused me of doing it for. There wasn't a chance of my telling you anything. Not much merit in my confession. I wonder if I'll ever feel clean again. You must stop thinking about it that way. I'd give a great deal if I could stop thinking about it. But I'm not somebody else, John. All the prejudices and conventions I was reared in are part of me. Tried to outrage those conventions, and I'll have to pay for it. And it doesn't make it any better to believe my motives were faulty. Ethel, from the beginning, all I've wanted is to help you. I was being God's little helper when I did what I did. How has it turned out? I wanted to tell you that you weren't responsible for Mrs. Nair's death. But you had to give me a chance. I had to be beaten to the ground before you could stretch down your magnanimous hand. Was that it? And why not let me go on believing I did it for Peter? Was there any merit in exploding even that fancy? Peter isn't worth it. What of it if I thought he was... Perhaps he would have become worth it if I believed in him hard enough. No use, Ethel. You and I are both cursed with a thing called the Grantville conscience. The more we try to act emancipated, the worse hell we undergo. I'm not finished, though, John. Old-fashioned sense of sin or Grantville conscience, whatever it is, I'm not going to succumb without a fight. There's something binding me to Peter now, stronger than ever before. doesn't know about it yet. But one of these days, perhaps, you'll have to know. By the middle of August, Ethel Coleman has packed and left Grantville for Toronto, where she seems determined to remain. All through the month, the gaiety and ubiquity of Peter Nairs and the Golden Mave Archer draw disapproval from those for whom Mrs. Nairs is hardly cold in her grave. But for the boys who await the world at Hayward's Drugstore and the Elite Sweets Cafe, Mave and the Convertible are a fleeting but authentic glory. Then, with the passing of Labor Day, the glory passes too. Departs for New York as the appearance of school books and scribblers in the dark backward of Williamson Stationery celebrates the annual end of all summer magic. October brings the frost, and the elms and maples in Grantville streets are a different magic. At last, November, and for the few in Grantville who care, there is Peter Nair's great concert in distant New York. <laughs>
At the old Nair's house in Grantville, Mrs. Bennett has lit the lamps and drawn the curtains. I told McDougal he'd have the lumbago again, Doctor, if he persisted in scampering like a two-year-old. No call to pick on a man when he's down, Sarah. Gonna have to put you to bed on the plank, McDougal. Same as last time. Going to bed on a plank don't seem as much fun at my age as it might to a younger man. Hey, Mercy, who could that be? It's most supper time. Might be the Reverend Reeves for the pickle. Decided to admit your age at last, huh? Might as well. Feel twice it. Kind of wish I'd seen more legs, though. Suppose I had more to think about while I lay there. Sometimes it's cozier to have the mind blank. It is, Mr. Reeves. Good evening, Dr. Robertson. Ah, it's McDougal, isn't it? What's left of him? Evening, Robert. Hello, Mr. Reeves. Bit nippy up? Begins to feel like winter. Snow will be flying first thing we know. Ah, the seasons pass. Ain't nothing to stop him, I guess. You creak out to my car, McDougal. I'll be with you in a minute and drive you down. Lumbago, Reverend. If you ever feel it coming on, shoot your child. I am sorry. But I'm sure Dr. Robertson knows what to do. We both know what to do. Trouble with me is they ain't got strength enough left to do it. Quite a character. We're all characters. I'll get those pickles for you, Mr. Reeves. What's this about pickles? Now, my wife tasted some of Mrs. Bennett's pickles at the fowl supper, and she's raved so much about them that Mrs. Bennett insists on giving us some. You'd like some, too, wouldn't you, Doctor? I've put down gallons more than I'll ever use, and there's almost never any person around here to eat them anymore. I'll pick them up on my way back from driving a doodle. Mrs. Bennett is the soul of kindness. Mrs. Bennett is happy. She stays within her limitations. You consider that a recipe for happiness? No recipe for happiness, but it helps. Surely a somewhat confining way of looking at things, Doctor. You should approve that. Isn't it the business of the clergy to confine people within the convention? It is the business of the clergy, Dr. Robertson, to point people to God. A set of words like that might mean almost anything. Do you suggest that words keep Changing their meanings? Like any other symbols? A frightening idea, that. I'm much less frightened by the sounds people make with their mouths than by the intentions they have in their hearts. It is extremely hazardous, Doctor, to judge the intentions of people's hearts. We are told to judge not that we be not judged. (laughs) I should remember not to cross words with a professional talker. I'm not really a very good talker. I wouldn't be in Grantville if I were an eloquent parson. Don't tell me you're joining the ranks of those who feel cramped by Grantville. On the contrary, I've had the feeling ever since I came here that it's just my size. As I walked along tonight past the lights and the windows of homes, it was very quiet, and someone was burning leaves. And I had a wonderful feeling of calm and reassurance. Of course, I've always liked the autumn, ever since I was a boy... Tonight, I enjoyed the momentary delusion that nothing very wicked could happen in Grantville. I know it's absurd, but I liked the feeling while it lasted. If nothing wicked ever happened, there'd be no work for you, Mr. Reed. Most of the wicked things that happen, the parson is the last to hear about anyway. Perhaps people have a hard time deciding when they've been wicked and when they haven't. The decision will only be hard if you allow those symbols to keep changing, Doctor. Good night, Mr. Reeves. Good night, Dr. Robertson.
a doctor, Mr. Reeves, because I think they had a kind of spat. But Ethel Coleman is on her way up from the depot to stay the night with me. She's on her way through from New York to Toronto. Oh, yes, Ethel Coleman, the nurse who attended Mrs. Nairs in her last illness, I remember. She was down in New York at Mr. Peters' big concert. That was last night. All the way to New York to hear a concert? Of course, she's been living in the last while in Toronto. Nursing? I don't know if she was or not. I don't think she's... Have Mr. Betsy. There she is now. I never come into this house without being shocked. Shocked? Find it the same. Do you feel it should change, Miss Coleman? Inanimate things have a stubborn way of staying the same. Well, everything inside us changes. I take it you feel you have changed a good deal. When I'm away, I find it hard to imagine myself the person I was when I was here, Mr. Reed. Like Alice in Wonderland, who was afraid she wasn't herself. I've just got back from Wonderland. Mrs. Bennett was telling me. Was it a good concert? It was a brilliant occasion. Mr. Reed, do you believe there's an absolute right and an absolute wrong? Dear me. Don't you think a person may believe a thing right so sincerely that it is right for him until another person convinces him it's wrong? And then it becomes wrong? <laughs> you have something in common with Dr. Robertson. Dr. Robertson? He was suggesting that words are only symbols which keep changing their meaning. Oh. Yes, he talks like that. You lay great stress on sincerity. I'm a bewildered human, like everyone else, Miss Coleman... But it seems to me, if a man goes to the cabinet for a sleeping pill and in the dark takes poison by mistake, it doesn't matter how sincere he is, he will die. The intention isn't important then, only the action? Are we so wise that we can separate the two, Miss Coleman? I hadn't thought of it. My dear lady, you open very large questions. Ah, here's Mrs. Bennet. Now, if you'll forgive me, I'll take my precious jars of pickles and go. It's getting so late. Thank you so much, Mrs. Bennet. Don't mention it, Mr. Reeves. I hope you like the pickles. I'm sure I shall. Personally, I wouldn't give a whip stitch for all the Boston ones. Good night, Mrs. Bennet. Miss Coleman, don't Good night, Reverend. Good night. Ethel, I'm dying to hear all about it. With a concert of great success. It, it was a very social affair, indeed. Mr. Peter, was he nervous? Excited. Did you see that pretty Miss Archer? Oh, yes. Her brother was provided with my escort. Very attentive young man. You there, Mrs. Bennett? With Dr. Robertson. Oh, in the living room, Doctor. I saw the Reverend with his trophy, so I thought maybe I... Well, Ethel. Hello, John. Been to New York, I hear. Yes. How's the music world? Fine. Now, who'd that be... Planning to stay in Grantham? No. Think I've sold the house. Good for you. No matter where I go or how long I stay away, I'm not back in this town half an hour before I feel it creeping over me like... Like a paralysis. Oh? Yes? You may find it easier to leave Grantham, Ethel, than to get Grantham to leave you. I'll have a good try anyway. No, you come. Goodbye. It's Mr. Peter. He's at the Benson Turn, and he'll be here in five minutes. Brilliant success. 
Nothing of the kind. Let's not kid ourselves. Oh, don't listen to him, John. I was there, and I know. Yeah, you were there, all right. But if that's all you know, you don't know much. The only successful thing about it was the audience. Doc, I'm not much of a pianist. Nobody has to tell me. I have enough integrity left to recognize a phony when I hear one. I had one last night. It was me. John, he's just suffering from nervous reactions. Stop propping me up, Ethel. I'm tired of being propped up. I want to fall down. Really, Peter, when you get into one of these moods... Doc, tell her to shut up. You're doing all right. All my life, somebody's been trying to get me to be something I'm not. My mother began it. Then there was a grand conspiracy of school teachers. And then there was little Ethel here. Peter's so good at his music. Peter's so clever. Peter's going to become a great pianist. Peter's got to practice and practice and practice... Peter's got to sublimate everybody else's frustrations for them. But in that concert last night, the people who really do know saw me good and clear. A shabby, small-town, hag-ridden dope. And you want to know something? I couldn't be more delighted if I tried. Peter, I won't let you talk like this. You hear that, Doc? She won't let me talk like this. That's my mother's voice. My mother dies, and what happens? There's another nice little mother, all groomed and ready to take her place. Ethel, get this through your head. I'm finished with music. Finished with music. I went through with that concert last night because I had to win my freedom. My freedom from mother and from you and from fraud. Well, it's finished. I'm going to run my own show from now on, and there isn't any more to be said about it. Oh, yes, there is. How dare you? Do you think you have no responsibility except for your own pleasure? Do you realize what your mother was willing to do for you when she lay helpless upstairs in that room? Ethel. Your mother knew her illness was making it impossible for you to work. She built her whole life on your achievement. And if her life stood between you and your future, she wanted to die. No, Ethel. What are you talking about? Peter, she wanted to die to set you free for your work. Are you suggesting my mother committed suicide? What Ethel is trying to say... I know say. what I'm trying to say. I don't need any help. No. I imagine it was my mother who needed help. And how would you know all this? She couldn't talk. She couldn't even move. All right. She needed help. She wanted to be rid of a life that was a burden to her and to you. You provided the help, I suppose? Yes, I did. You murdered my mother. This is utter nonsense. Ethel did nothing of the kind. No, but I tried to. I was willing to, Peter. That's why you can't walk out in your career like this. A thing that can possess people like that isn't something you can wave away when you feel moody. It's a trust. It's something sacred. What a fool you are, Ethel. Don't you realize that every time I look at a piano now, I'll see a death's head grinning on the keys? If it was really my art you wanted to preserve, not all God's angels could have dragged this confession out of you. You don't give that for my art. And if what you say is true, neither did Mother. It's me you wanted to possess. Well, you're not going to. I'm getting out of here first thing in the morning. I'm going to Maeve, who doesn't care a good... Golden curse if I ever see another piano. Goodbye. Good luck with your patient, Doc. Peter. No use, sir. It isn't true. It isn't true. Stop that. It isn't. No, no, no. No, it isn't true. It isn't true. Work it out somehow, my dear. We'll work it out. 
I'm the worst kind of a fool. No need to call yourself names. Help me, child. I'll try. Mercy, Mr. Peters in one of his moods again. I suppose it's a letdown after the concert. It is nice to have him in the house, though, even for one night. And declare it seems only yesterday he was a little boy. And now he's famous. My, his mother would be so pleased. Yes, I think she would, Mrs. Bennett. Still hard to believe she isn't here anymore. Seems like yesterday, she and I used to sit in this very room of an evening like this when the days began to draw in. She used to talk with me just like I was anybody. We used to gossip away like two old cronies. Mercy. I wouldn't care how good Mr. Peter might play the piano. He couldn't play anything that would mean as much to me as those nights when his mother and I used to sit here, just the two of us. I never knew a woman so kind or so gentle. Yes, she was kind. Grants were the oldest family in just the two of us. I never knew a woman so kind or so gentle. Yes, she was kind. Grants were the oldest family in these parts, I guess. Mrs. Nearest was a Grant before she was married. Her grandfather built the first mill down where the tile factory is now. Mrs. Nearest used to say... How she remembered her grandfather when she was a girl. He lived to be near a hundred, they say. Straight and tall and severe. Grant always lived to be real old. Her father, the the one that was mayor so often, he was eighty-seven. Funny about Mrs. Nears. She wasn't even 60 when she passed away. Then she never was strong. Goodness, I... I haven't gone on like this for years. What's got into me? Well, I was going to make some tea a while ago... You you stay and have some tea with Ethel and me, won't you, Doctor? Yes, Mrs. Bennett. I'd like to stay. What about you, Ethel? Think you'll stay? Yes, John. I think I'll stay.
Stage 53, item 16. A Sense of Sin. A new radio play written and produced by Andrew Allen, based on his own stage play, Narrow Passage. The original music was composed and conducted by Lucio Agostini. Starred in the cast as Ethel Coleman, Pat Arthurs. As Dr. John Robertson, Bud Knapp. As Peter Nares, Christopher Plummer. Mrs. Bennett was Jane Mallett. McDougall, Tommy Tweed. The Reverend Mr. Reeves, Alan King. Maeve Archer, Billy Bailey. The narrator, Austin Willis. Sound effects by David Tasker. Technical operation, Bruce Armstrong. And as usual, Christopher Plummer did not disappoint. Perhaps next week we'll have an hour-long Canadians Abroad segment. Until then, have a good week. Bye for now. If you've enjoyed the shows you've heard during the past hour, be sure to tune in again next week, same time, same station, when once again, we'll listen to programs that are remembered today thanks to the involvement of Canadians in old-time radio. This is Devin Wilkins speaking. <laughs>